This is an older gay guy show, and I am your host, Joey Hernandez. I've been a personal trainer for over 30 years, but like you, my life has not yet finished. In fact, my friends, maybe our lives have just begun. Please join me each week as we discuss many topics concerning gay life as we age. Hey, we may be getting older, but we ain't going down without a fight. And hello, boys and girls, young and old alike. Hi. Today, I have a Christmas story for you. Now, this is not erotic. At least, it's not supposed to be erotic. But I hope it's going to give you warm feelings for the holidays. Warm feelings down into the cockles of your heart. Now, cockles is an interesting word. I had heard it all my life, and I decided... I was going to use that phrase in the podcast, so I decided to look up what cockles are. And it refers to some sort of like barnacle kind of thing in the ocean that I guess is kind of supposed to look like a human heart or something. So that's what cockles actually means in that phrase. But I had heard it even when I was younger, and I spent many a day in school giggling with my friends whenever the teacher would mention something about the cockles of our hearts. Because after all, to me, cockles and cocks, they kind of seem like they should be somehow related. The cocks of your heart. The dicks of your heart. It would always send me into literal, uncontrollable giggles and snickers in class even after my friends stopped laughing, I would be the one that laughed. And finally, I had a teacher that had had quite enough of my laughter about that. And they informed me if I had any plans to finish my senior year and get my bachelor's degree from that university, that I had better stop giggling. <laughs> and I better grow up. So I guess I did. I had to learn to hold my giggles and snickers, at least until I was in church. As a, as a, matter, <laughs> as a matter of fact about church, this isn't even on my script. I don't know why I'm talking about it. When I was younger in the 60s, ha have you ever been in church and for some reason something you find funny and you start laughing, but you're trying to like cover it. You're trying to cover your mouth. You're trying to do it quietly. People are like looking at you from around where they're sitting, you know, and shh, be quiet, shh. And you, like, you can't stop for whatever reason. <laughs> I guess it's because you know you're not supposed to be laughing. You cannot stop. One time in the late 60s, I was at church with my friend Judy from the house next door. And this was in the late 60s when women were supposed to wear hats to church. We didn't know that, and we didn't take that into consideration. But we're standing there in church, kind of just waiting. We were Catholic at the time, I was, waiting for this 
mask to get over. It's so long. And then I noticed two pews in front of me. There was a woman who had taken a tissue, like a Kleenex, and folded it up and bobby pinned it to the back of her head. And not knowing, not not knowing that women were supposed to wear hats to church, right? I just started, <laughs> I started giggling. <laughs> and it had it was winter and I had a cold and my nose was running. And so periodically I'd dig in my pocket and get a tissue out and blow my nose or wipe. I didn't really blow it, I wiped it. And, and then Judy started saying, if I ran out, why don't I ask that lady to use hers? Sorry, it was very strange. Okay, back to what I was supposed to be talking about. Next week, just before Christmas, I want it to be a light and fun episode. So I'm going to tell you a true story of when I moved out to Hollywood to become a star. It's one of the most interesting things that I've ever done in my life. Certainly one of the bigger things that I've ever tried. And I think you're going to enjoy the tale. So I don't want to talk too much about it right now. I don't want to spoil the ending of whether or not I became a superstar in movies, TV, the Broadway stage, and records. I'll keep you guessing whether or not I gave up all that money and all that fame so I could come back to Boston and do this little gay podcast. Hmm. Did I or didn't I? You'll find out. It's not a big stretch to figure out. <laughs> Meanwhile, don't miss part two of the holiday diet tips that I gave in the last episode on this podcast. But part two is over on my other podcast. So you have to move over to Beginner Diet and Fitness Podcast and check out part two that's called Holiday diet tips. And lastly, I want to give shout outs to Matthew, to Aaron, and to Kelvin. They were wonderful listeners that have sent me messages. There's lots of ways now to send me messages, or at least a few. You can do it via the Facebook page for An Older Gay Guy Show. You can do it via email at an older gay guy show at gmail.com. Well, anyway, there's two ways to get to me. I'm sure there are others. I just I can't figure it out right now. Today's story is about a special tradition that was started by my sister and how recently one year I continued to try to do that tradition in her honor. And I have plans to do it again in the next few years. And I hope that you will enjoy this Christmas story. My name is Joey Hernandez. And from the cockles of my heart, this is Anonymous Christmas. 
the 32nd episode of An Older Gay Guy Show, Sonny. That was bad. Okay, so I'm I'm going to tell this story in two different segments, both in this podcast. I want to tell you about what my sister did and then what I tried to do. Um, now, as I was thinking about this, I was preparing to say about 20 years ago, but every time I'm giving dates to things, the dates are getting bigger, like 35 years ago, 45 years ago. Fuck. Are you kidding me? All right. Uh, let's see. Let's go for 35 to 40 years ago, I guess. Uh, my sister started this annual tradition. Starting the day after Christmas, she would start to collect money from us. She'd have a jar right by the kitchen sink. And if somebody swore, used, you know, a swear word, they had to put money in. If somebody left a dirty dish in the sink and didn't wash it, they were penalized. They had to put money in. And she had established what the amount was. It was like 50 cents to a dollar kind of thing. You have to like murder someone in order to have to put the dollar in. But she was uh, doing this and she'd collect and she'd really stay on everybody that came to the house. You know, if you did one of these things, and there was a whole list of stuff. There was like 10 things. If you did one of these things, you had to pay up and put the money into this jar. And she'd do it starting the day after Christmas on purpose because she wanted an entire year to collect this money. Then starting about probably four months before Christmas of the next year, what she'd do is she would take out a map of New England. In New England, Massachusetts, we have Boston and we have Worcester and Springfield. They're fairly big-ish cities, and Massachusetts is pretty good money-wise. I mean, we're an expensive state to rent in. We're, an, we're a big taxed state, but we're all doing okay. But up in New Hampshire and Vermont and Maine, especially the most northern sections, people become quite poor. They are left with industries that aren't there. They used to be farmers, perhaps, and that has gone away. And people get very desperate for money. So my sister would eliminate Massachusetts from the map and just have New Hampshire, Vermont, and Maine there. And she would close her eyes. She should lay the map out on her kitchen table. She'd close her eyes and take her finger and kind of circle it around and then drop it down and whatever town she hit in those states. That was the town that she was selecting. Then what she would do is she would find out through the, the Chamber of Commerce or the post office or, or, or whatever, because, of course, this is long, long before Internet, and we, you couldn't even really look these kind of things up. I suppose if you went to the library, you could somehow do it, but... She would call people and ask for ministers' names, ministers at the church. 
is. And she would contact them. And she would find one that she felt was a good fit. And she would ask him to find one family in that area that have children, have young children. That was kind of a, a requirement. And for people that would not really be having very much for Christmas. And she would say absolutely positively, you cannot let anyone know that I am doing this. It's through your church. Just say if they ask somehow it was donated or whatever, but keep her name out of it. And that had to be an agreement between her and the minister. He was going to be the voice of the family. And she said, you know, if there's a way that you can somehow go to this family and not directly, but indirectly, find out specifically what those kids would want for Christmas. She also wanted the, the sexes, the ages, and the size of the kids. Because in addition to just buying toys or something, she wanted to be able to provide clothing, especially those that live really up in the north, where the winter is just desperate, desperate, desperate for months. So she'd make sure that she bought winter clothing that they could use during the winter, but also, you know, stuffed animals and whatever specific toys happened to be really popular at the time. This was in the mid-70s. And to be honest with you, I have no clue what, what it was. But she would take the money from that jar and she'd add in her, some of her own money and she'd buy as much stuff for this family as possible. And then she'd wrap everything up, put it in a box. She would take it to her local post office in Concord, Massachusetts. And she had an arrangement with the postmaster back then that he would kind of smear the postmark on the box so that, again, it was really untraceable back to her. And the box would be sent to the minister. And after that, there was no follow-up whatsoever. You know, once my sister sent it, the minister did not have their return address. I don't believe he even had their phone number because you can make a call to someone without your number being displayed like it is today. So she really did this anonymously. And she did it for about five years, maybe a little bit longer, every year. It was awesome. And then she moved down to Florida and she works for Disney World now. A lot of my relatives work at Disney. And she's, you know, really busy and she's kind of frail health now. She's in her 70s. So she really couldn't do it anymore. And years passed and nothing was done. Nobody mentioned it. Nobody thought about it. And a few years ago, I was telling one of my clients about her for some reason, about that story. And it occurred to me, I wonder what I could do. I wonder if it would work for me. And so this next part I'm going to tell you was my attempt at trying to duplicate what she did as much as possible and kind of the craziness that went with it. 
So, we'll move on to my personal tale of Christmas. Now, the way that this went, and the fact that I'm telling you about it, obviously, this is not as anonymous as what my sister did. And the reason that I don't do it as anonymous is because I really don't have relationships with people that I can somehow find these families and um, and do stuff on my own. I have to rely on some other people who happen to be on the internet to help me out. But I tried to make it as anonymous as possible, and I'll explain that. So here's what I did. Now, I didn't want to do this penalty jar because there's just not enough people that hang out in my house to collect money from. My housemates never, ever, ever have company over. This was before Paco in my life, so I would have dates. But, you know, first date, hey, here's a jar, give me money. No, that just uh, didn't happen. So, I had to just kind of do it very blatantly. So what I did is I literally told my housemates, I told my clients, I told my friends, please, 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 please give me money because <laughs> this is what I want to do. And this was about six months before Christmas that I started it. And everybody was awesome. You know, people would just give me money. They'd come, they'd do a training appointment and I didn't want to just put the money they gave me for my training just to this because, well, to be honest with you, I had to eat and stuff. So what I preferred to do is to have the generosity of their hearts giving beyond my training fee. At the very end, I'll be honest with you, I put a few training fees towards it because I was a little short for what I wanted to do. But I digress. So... Three to four months, I begged people, and to the point where they were really annoyed. I was still working at some gyms in Boston, and I went through those gyms and begged people for money. So I had an amount that was building, but no real family to do this for. So I was online in some chat room at some point, and one of the guys that are, have friended me was a, a man that lived up in Alaska, and he was an into, I hope I say this right, Intuit person, which is the preferred title for Eskimos, which we used to say. So he was an Intuit gentleman, and he knew a lot of people in his little tiny town in Alaska that's out on this peninsula south of Anchorage. I mean, it took forever to get to Anchorage where there's some sort of city. This was this little thing on this little point of land. And he knew of a family that he was working with. He, he was some sort of massage person, but with Intuit Customs or something. I never quite got it. But he knew of this family, and there was a mother who was divorced from her husband, 
and the children. She had a son who was just hitting teenage, so like 13, 14. And then she had a daughter that was younger, like seven or eight. And the father, the husband, had left, and periodically, because he was a drunk, periodically he'd come over to the house and cause problems. And one of the times he was over there, he went wild with the kids with all the toys that they had. And he started smashing and destroying all of their stuff. And the teenage son was partially, mostly blind. He had the ability, I guess, to see some shadows or be able to get around furniture because of just shadowy images, but mostly blind. And one of the things he had was this machine. And again, I apologize, I never quite got what this machine was, but it helped him somehow uh, with it giving a voice of what is supposed to be read, kind of like an audio book kind of thing, but it, it was far more complex than that. And the father destroyed this machine. And so the poor kid, you know, is left with a restricted amount of way that he can engage with people. And he was very lonely. The father had destroyed it. Like, I I think he destroyed all the toys and stuff from the previous Christmas. I think that's how it came out because all the toys and everything was in in the one room when the father went spastic. So he destroyed this machine on the kid, and the machine was like five or six hundred dollars. It was it was an expensive machine, but he relied upon that. And so once it was destroyed, he became very lonely because he couldn't really have as much contact with people. So just like my sister had done, I asked this man to get all the specifics from these kids. What kind of things would they like to have? as well as what kind of things do they need. And one of the things was this machine, and the guy I was in contact with, the Intuit guy, was like, you know, this is really expensive. I don't know if you even want to attempt that, but this was the machine. So that was the first thing I bought with the money. And to this day, I still get emails from this company and the catalog and stuff and I don't know why, but you get on a list, you never get off a list. So that was the first thing that I bought. And then I had been begging for so much money that I had a fair amount of money collected. I I had close to $1,000 to buy stuff. So I would go out and I would start buying things for the kids based on what they wanted. And Twilight was super big back then, so they got the Twilight series on... I think it must have been like an audio book version of it. I, I don't remember. And I got all the Harry Potter stuff. I bought every, all of the whole series of movies and stuff. And um, I, I, I was really happy with the things that I was able to get based on the list of what they wanted. And I went beyond that. I, I made sure that it wasn't just the things that they needed. It wasn't just the things that had been destroyed but I wanted to get amazing things. 
And I don't have a car. I don't own a car. Paco, this was before Paco, but Paco doesn't own a car. We take the subway everywhere or um, we'll do an Uber somewhere. So I had to do all of the shopping, basically going out on the subway and carrying the bags back. And once in a while, if I had a friend that had a car, I'd be like, oh, would you drive me to this, you know, store that carries little girl's clothing? And <laughs> he'd be like, okay. So we managed somehow to get all of this stuff here. And what I did then is I wrapped up all of the gifts. Now, usually when you donate toys or something to a charity, you're supposed to give them unwrapped. That's like a requirement. I'm sure they were afraid of some creep wrapping up a gift and it turning out to be like the rat that was under the lunch tray that baby Jane Hudson gave to Blanche. You know, maybe it would be something like that. By the way, if you're too young to know what that reference I just made was, watch Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. That's the name of the movie. And you gotta know this. It's like written on the test that you have to take before you get your official gay card. Okay, so you never know when you might get a pop quiz. So study your homosexual history. Start with Peter Tchaikovsky and kind of work your way up to Ellen DeGeneres time or something. And Whatever Happened to Baby Jane will be in there in the 1950s. It's an awesome film. I know the majority of you know exactly what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen it, it's a fucking hoot. <laughs> Make sure you see it. Anyways, I discussed this wrapping issue or the wrapping of the gifts with the Intuit guy, and we agreed that the best thing was for me to wrap them. I like to wrap gifts. I do it pretty good. So I said, yeah, let's do that. So I wrapped the gifts, and actually, down in my gym, I have an incline weight bench. And I also have these straps hanging from the ceiling that are called a TRX, total something resistance, maybe? Exercise. The X is for exercise. I think it's stupid. But it's called a TRX, and it's used, it's very popular in the CrossFit world for those kinds of exercises. So I have that, and what I thought was a little fun thing to do was I set up my incline bench, I put the gifts down on the floor behind the bench, and I had the TRX like they were the straps that would attach to the reindeer. And I put on a Christmas hat, <laughs> and I took a photo. And I put it on Facebook, I think. And one of the things I decided to do was, I thought, you know what? I'm going to send this photo to the TRX company because isn't this a fun thing to do with their straps? So I did, and I never heard anything from them. They didn't call me up like, oh my God, that is such a brilliant commercial idea. No, I didn't hear anything from them. So if you're listening, TRX, screw you.
I still use your straps, but you know, I'm going to post that photo on the Facebook page of the podcast. So if you go to an older gay guy show page on Facebook, that will be on the site. My Santa Claus delivering gifts on a flying weight bench using TRX straps. <laughs> I thought it was cute. Damn. Anyway, I'll post it on the Facebook page. So now you got to go to it. So I've wrapped all these gifts. Now comes the time to put them into a main box to ship. Well, they don't fit into one main box. I ended up having two really large, really heavy boxes. One of them turned out to be 150 pounds when it was weighed. So these were big ass boxes. <laughs> and I had a friend take me in his car with the boxes. We went to FedEx because I thought that would be the most reliable and the fastest. I took them there to 10, it was either 10 or 12 days. I can't remember which. It wasn't two weeks. It was either 10 or 12 days until Christmas when I was sending it. And I even asked the FedEx people, you know, will it get there by Christmas? And they're like, oh, psh, it's going to be there in three days. And I'm like, awesome, awesome. Now, what I didn't plan on was the amount of cost of sending this. I had budgeted $100 to $150. I thought, that sounds reasonable, you know. I've never shipped boxes before, but $100 to $150, I'm going to be, you know, spending money here. Well, the two boxes were $350 total to send them. And I didn't have the money. I had put as much of my personal money in as I could. I had collected from everybody that I knew. And my nephew, Bill, saved the day. And he wrote me a check for $300. And that allowed me to ship the boxes. And without his generous donation, as well as I had a friend named Jeff, who had previously donated $300, these were big people that really helped make this special Christmas happen. So I know my nephew Bill sometimes listens to it. So love and hugs for what you did. And Jeff, if you happen to be listening, again, thank you so much for helping do this. So I sent it off on its merry way and I had tracking numbers. Awesome. They said three days. Four days max. Awesome. I'm really sorry, by the way. The heat being on makes my mouth really dry, and I keep drinking water in between as I'm talking, but I know my lips sound really dry. I apologize. So I had the tracking numbers, and I came home, and I was really happy with how things were going. And I looked every day. Actually, I... Knowing me, I looked like four or five times per day at the tracking. Where is it? Where is it? When they gave me the estimation of how long it would take to get there, they had basically looked at it was going to Alaska, you know, 
and they probably assumed it was going somewhere near Anchorage, Alaska, where the big city is. No, this was going to a little town that was really quite south of Anchorage. So what it had to do is it had to travel FedEx to Anchorage, and then it transferred over to the United States Postal Service down to a certain point, and then there was like a wagon or something that would take it the rest of the way. Have you ever seen the Golden Girls episode where they go to St. Olaf and they fly and then they do the train and then they do like a hayride? Like I, that was running through my mind, you know? <laughs> my, my packages are on some hay carriage being going down through the snow uh, on its way to this little teeny tiny town. So it was getting closer to Christmas. And it, you know, I, first I saw it going to Anchorage. I'm like, what the fuck is it going way up there for? That's like hundreds of miles from where it's supposed to be. But that was the biggest place. So that's why FedEx brought it in. And then I could slowly see it tracking down. And, and then it, it kind of stopped once it transferred over to the hay, the hay wagon, if you will. And uh, so I'm like, I was, I was going crazy. It was like the, the, the day before Christmas Eve, and I had no idea where these boxes were. Well, the universe works with you sometimes, you know? At 4 o'clock on Christmas Eve, my boxes are received by the Intuit gentleman. And what he did was he knew this family really well. He would have meals with them almost every day. He was very close to the wife and the kids, and especially because he felt so bad for what this father had done to this family. He was always trying to help them out. But this was just like one more step beyond that. So what he did is he dressed up as Santa Claus, and he snuck over to the house on Christmas morning, and he was putting the last of the gifts under the Christmas tree when the kids got up and discovered it. And I'm told it was beautiful. And actually, because I wanted to keep this so anonymous and personal at that time, that we didn't even have contact, this Intuit gentleman and myself, we didn't have much contact at all after he said that it went beautifully with the family. I didn't want to know anything else. I, 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 I just wanted that memory to be perfect in my head. And I, sometimes I thought if I knew too much, it wouldn't be so perfect. So um, I didn't approach anything beyond just the fact that the kids thought it was a beautiful, wonderful Christmas. Now, people have asked me, because I went through this process of this Intuit guy that I was friends with on Facebook, we'd send a message here or there, but I didn't know him personally, and I was taking and you know getting all of this money from people and buying stuff and sending it to him, and a lot of them were thinking, well, maybe you're getting conned a little bit here, you know? And 
they, I had told the stories of my sister and what she did. And they're like, well, maybe your sister was conned too. I mean, you never know what people are going to do. The, the feeling that I have regarding it is that you have to have a certain amount of trust when you're doing something like this. You have to believe in the common good of people. And I always say that even if my sister or I were conned or fooled, that's on the person that is receiving these gifts. If it's not going to a family and the person doing something else with it, we don't know. But that would be on them. And that doesn't in any way affect what we do. You know, it, it de didn't change the love and the gathering of people that just came together for me, trying to give of themselves money and toys and all kinds of things they gave me. And they just were trying to make one family have a Merry Christmas. And so you have to do it with trust. I mean, there's nothing else you can do. I don't think a gentleman who was in his 40s really would want the Twilight series and stuff, you know, and kids' clothes. So, I mean, there's, a, there's certainly a very high probability that this all happened just fine. That's what I choose to believe. That's where I have to keep my heart and believe that this had happened. So I'm thinking of doing it again in a few years, and what I dream of... This would take the anonymous a little bit out of it too. Although the, the Alaskan family never knew, never ever knew anything about me. Um, I ended up talking about it on Facebook and doing different stuff because I was trying to get people to donate money. So I didn't keep it as anonymous as my sister. But when you tell this story to people, they, they just want to give. So what I dream of is to find like a small town that's poor. Maybe it doesn't have a lot of people in it, but they have kids. And they're poor of money, yet they're rich of hearts. And I want to take it to the next level. I will go through a minister of that town like my sister did, because he would know the, the, the families, the poor families. And... I was thinking, you know, I could go to companies and get them to donate products or money or whatever. Take it, take it to a bigger way. And it might take me a few years to really work it out and get ready to do it again. Because when you beg for money, even if it's for a wonderful cause, you get to the point where people will try to avoid you because you're going to ask them, you got 10 bucks you can put to it, you know? So it, it's hard to do that. I could never be a fundraiser uh, in any kind of charitable organization. So maybe I'd even go to the point of getting like a GoFundMe thing going, collect money that way. I don't know. I don't know. It's a ways off. I've got a lot on my plate right now, but it's a ways off. And if anybody wants to do that idea, please do. Please do. 
You know, it's not just mine. It's to be shared with everyone in the world. Feel free to do that for someone. Um, I'll be back next week before Christmas, and I'm going to tell a more humorous, sexy story about my stardom in Hollywood. Ooh, can't wait. I almost gave it away. (laughs) I almost gave the ending away. So until then, my good friends, uh, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, happy Hanukkah, happy Kwanzaa. They all, this year, are happening between December 24th and January 1st. And they don't always gel, but this particular year, and maybe this is the year that we really need it, but everyone is celebrating at the same time. And to any other religions of the world that celebrate during this period as well, that I may not know of, um, my best wishes to you and to your family. Please make sure you check out the Facebook page. The... (laughs) I'm going to say this again. Sorry. The videos are coming. Just give me a few more weeks, please. I had some technical difficulties. But I will do two more episodes of this podcast before 2017. I'll do an episode next week before Christmas and then an episode before New Year's Eve. So be sure, please, to subscribe so you do not miss a Thanks for listening. Peace and love to all my brothers and sisters. Bye for now.